0: Well, Merry Christmas. (laughs) All right, quick, quick raise of hands, quick poll. How many of you are pre-Thanksgiving Christmas partiers? You listen to music and your decorations were before Thanksgiving. Put your hands up real quick. Uh, Let me see those hands. Let me see those hands. You all need Jesus. I'm praying for you. (laughs) Okay, uh, those of you who are like, no, 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 you celebrate Thanksgiving and then you celebrate Christmas. How many of you guys wait till after Thanksgiving to raise your? Okay, you legalists in the room, right? Legalists. And you're like, I'm not a legalist, right? You're just like, I just do it the right way, right? That's what you're thinking? Yeah, I love Christmas. It's my uh, favorite season of year. I love the smells, the songs, the sounds. It is just an incredible time. Uh, In our home, uh, we are uh, post-Thanksgiving Christmas people, but we go at it full throttle. I mean, Thanksgiving Day, my wife kind of looks at me with this glint in her eye and it's like, honey, if you love me. You will go to the attic and get all of our Christmas stuff out and get it ready to go. Friday morning hits and the the lights are beginning to put up, get put up. The tree is beginning uh, to get decorated. There's cookies in, uh, you know, uh, in the oven ready to go. Uh, We are already in our home. We have already watched Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2, okay? And we're not going to watch Home Alone 3 because it's a terrible movie. Uh, quick uh, recommendation, if you are looking for a great Christmas album, the John Legend Christmas album is incredible. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I just blessed your life, all right? (laughs) Love Christmas. This Christmas season is a season filled with wonder. Wonder, that's the word that really, I think, in so many ways describes the the narratives and the stories and the, the emotions that come with the season. And when I talk about wonder, this is what I mean. Wonder is this emotion we feel when we're in awe of something or someone. Wonder is this emotion that we get when we're just enthralled by something beautiful or significant. We say, wow. One of the things that we're trying to do as a family is establish some new traditions for our kids. We're at an age now, 9, 7, our oldest about to turn 4, and then our youngest is 2, kind of two they They're all of an age now, especially my, my youngest boys, where they understand what Christmas is about, kind of, right? And they're excited about it. So my 2-year-old sees the Christmas tree goes up, go up, and he immediately starts asking me for presents. I mean, this is where we are in our home. And it's a time where we love getting to celebrate the season. And I think we're so intentional about it. Not so much because it means that much to us, right? All of the kind of pop and circumstance. But when you see Christmas through the eyes of a child, my goodness, the game changes. So yesterday we added a new tradition into our family. Uh, We went to something called Lake Nona Lights. It's this 30-minute event. Uh, It's got a really big name, but it is one house in East Park uh, that has lights that dance to music. Has anybody been to, to Lake Nona Lights? It's a really cool little deal. We took our our boys uh, to it, and our boys were really, really excited um, to be there. I was really excited to be there as well because it's uh, basically, you know, Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party without any of the money being spent, you know, at that age. That's kind of the vibe. And so we took our kids there, and they just were enthralled and in love with the lights and how they danced and how they moved. And there was a moment, like when we were with the kids, where I kind of captured my boys, and I said, that, man, that is what wonder is. I want to show you. This is my boys last night. I show you those 10 seconds because the other 30 minutes, we're not as happy as those. Here's the thing about wonder, what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, is that wonder is actually what makes us human. Uh, what distinguishes us from the rest of creation is our ability as people to imagine, to, to think, to, to wonder what could be. There's a, a, an incredible writer, a professor of philosophy at the City University of New York. He's not a follower of Jesus. He actually would consider himself an atheist. Interestingly enough, in this article that he writes about wonder, he concludes that he must be a spiritual atheist, which I think means he's on his journey, right, trying to figure things out like a jumbo shrimp, you know, kind of trying to, you know, what, what is that, you know? But he has this great, great, great line, brilliant writer, brilliant mind, and he says this. He says, science, religion, and art are unified in wonder. Each engages our senses. Think about my boys when they see those lights for the first time. It elicits curiosity. My, my boy's wondering, how do, these, how do these lights dance? Where is this music coming from? And it instills reverence. Whoa, so cool. <laughs> Without wonder, it is hard to believe that we would engage in these distinctively, look at this, human pursuits. What makes you alive, what makes you human, what makes you different than everything else in creation is your ability to wonder. And when you're a kid, there's certain things you wonder about during Christmas, right? (laughs) You wonder, will the thing that I asked Santa for be under the tree? You wonder, how does Santa get to 7.5 billion houses in one day, right? These are your wonders. But as you get older and as life kind of moves forward, you begin to wonder about different things, don't you? And here's what can happen, right? Is that our wonder, wrongly directed, our wonder wrongly purposed, will eventually lead us to worry. Give me a head nod if you've wondered and that wonder has turned into worry before. Yeah. Wrongly directed wonder will lead us to worry, but rightly directed wonder, it will lead our heart to hope. And what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is orient our time and our energy together around what it looks like to rightly orient our wonder to the one who can actually help us as we wonder. So let me ask you this question today What do you wonder? What do you wonder? For some of us, the thing that we are wondering about right now, it's a, it's a matter of who. Some of us are, are wondering who is the person that's going to come into our life. We've been single or single again, and we wonder who will be the person or will there be a person that I get to share life with? For others of us, we wonder uh, when it comes to relationships and who, who are the people that are going to be my community in this new place called Lake Nona that our family has moved? or. You wonder, who is this person that I've married because they are so different than when we were dating? And you wonder, you wonder who? For others of us, we wonder how. How in the world are we going to get our bills paid? How are we going to be able to manage the, the craziness of the calendar in front of us? How are things going to work out in this new environment that we're in? And we're, we're wondering how today. For others of us, it's a, a wondering of where? Where? God, I, I thought I'd be further along by now. I thought I'd have more by now. I thought I'd be in a different place in life. And I wonder, where in the world is it that I'm going? Where will I be in five years? Where will my kids be going to school? Where is this thing called life heading? And we, we wonder. For others of us, it's not who, how, or where. It's, it's when. God, when is this man going to propose? God, when am I going to get the raise? When am I going to get that relationship? When is it going to happen? And I want you to know if you're asking these questions, who or how or where or when, you're not alone. In fact, that's what it means to be human. To be human is to ask these kinds of questions, to wonder about what is around the corner, to wonder Where your life is headed. But it's important to remember that if wonder simply ends with you, your wonder will lead to worry. But when your wonder is pointed to the one who can answer those questions, your wonder will lead to hope. You're not alone. In fact, as we begin to lean into the Christmas story over the next couple of weeks, we're not going to start with the story of Jesus in a a manger, as cute and idyllic as that is. The Christmas story does not start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It doesn't start in a little town called Bethlehem. It starts 760 years before, while a people of God called the Israelites were openly wondering about the details of the Savior they had been promised and that they were hoping for. Because the people of Israel, 760 years before Jesus even enters the pages of human history, they find themselves under the occupation of the Babylonian Empire. They find themselves losing their faith. They find themselves being robbed of their culture and heritage. And if you read the Old Testament, that's the kind of first half of your Bible, the parts that are sometimes confusing. The best way to describe it is it's a a group of people calling out to God saying, God, when are you going to save us? When are you going to rescue us? When are you going to make things right? And the Christmas story does not begin in Matthew. The Christmas story begins 760 years earlier when a prophet by the name of Isaiah begins to speak to the people who are wondering where their Savior will be, and he tells them where, how, who, and when. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, we'll find this. That as the Old Testament writers predicted, the who, the how, the when, and the where of the Savior, we can lean in today and know that maybe God knows what he's doing with our life too. And if you're a skeptic of faith... Or maybe you're unsure of Christianity or maybe you kind of have bought it but you don't buy it completely and you're kind of concerned about what it is that's really true. (laughs) You could not have picked a better day to be here in church. Maybe you got dragged here because you're obligated to or because somebody promised you a meal or it's the holiday so you got to make mom and dad happy. If you could just lean in for the next 20 or so minutes, I think that there's something that you've got to deal with intellectually that would make you have to reconsider maybe where you stand with faith. And if you are a follower of Jesus, today's a great day, because today is a day where you can lean back and say, whoa, that is so cool. That 760 years before Jesus enters the pages of human history. There are prophets predicting who the Savior will be, how the Savior will come, where the Savior will be born, and when the Savior will arrive. So let's lean into this today. First thing is this. Write this down in your notes. God knows who. God knows who in your life, and God knew who for the people of Israel. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Anybody agree that would be a great way for people to talk to you, right? Right? I would love to just like walk into my house and say, you will call me wonderful counselor. (laughs) Mighty God, children, call me everlasting father, right? Like that's just such a great way for my kids to respect me. We're going to put that into practice. He goes on to say, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Pay attention to that. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here's the first answer that Isaiah gives the people of God who are waiting for their Savior. Your Savior's coming and your Savior who's coming, it's going to be God. It's not going to be some representative. It's not going to be an ambassador. God himself is coming because there's only one person that can have the title mighty God and it's God, are you tracking? So 760 years before we even are introduced to Jesus, the prophetic writers of the Old Testament tell us, God is coming to save you. God is coming and he's going to come as a child. But not only was that the place where that happened, it's throughout the rest of the Old Testament, which we'll look at here in a moment. But on the ground, I want to challenge you this morning, that as you wonder about the relationships in your life, I want you to know that God will provide who you need. Those new friends, God will provide them. That relationship that you're hoping for, if it's good for you, God will provide it. You don't need to worry. You can just wonder about how good God is. Here's the second reality. Not only does God know who, but God knows how. Again, 700 years before, the prophet Isaiah says this, Therefore, the Lord himself, this is chapter 7, verse 14, will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 760 years before the storyline of Jesus, we are introduced to the fact that Jesus will come as a baby through a woman who is not yet married. Is that not stunning detail? Isn't it incredible to think that 760 years before Jesus enters the story, we're not only told who's coming, but how that person is going to come? I mean, I'm a, I'm a kind of movie guy. Like, I, I just started watching Star Wars like a couple of weeks ago. Any Star Wars people in here? Yeah, I still don't get it, but I started watching them. And you think about, like, the way that a superhero enters a story. Here's what's not compelling, a little baby. And yet God, in all of the ways he could have come, chose to come as a vulnerable fetus born into a child. 760 years before, we would be told that. As you wonder about how things are going to get done in your season of life right now, how are the bills going to get paid? How is that relationship going to get restored? I want you to know that God is already at work. The thing that you are worrying about, God is already working on. Not only does God know who, not only does God know how, but God knows where. 700 years before, another prophet by the name of Micah, would predict where the Savior would be born. He would say this, Bethlehem Ephrathah who are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come forth for me, one to be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from the days of eternity. So Micah, who's not hanging out with Isaiah, they're in a different place. They're talking about this Messiah and Savior who's going to come. And not only do they declare who the Messiah is going to be, who the Savior is going to be, how the Savior is going to come, but where the Savior is going to be born. That's a level of detail you gotta lean into just a little bit, right? 700 years before. And here's what's crazy about that to me, okay? Like, I like to think of myself as a logical person, okay? The town of Bethlehem is minuscule, it's not like he said Rome or Jerusalem, or some big city, right? It would be like, you know, somebody 700 years before being, uh, you know, before, you know, in the 1300s being like, there's going to be a skinny brown man in a town called Lake Nona who will speak on a stage in a gym, right? Do you get that? Like, there's a level of detail here that has got to make you lean in. And yet, that's the level of detail we get in the Old Testament. So here's what I need you to know. As you wonder about where your life is going, know that God already has it mapped out for you. That the things that you're wondering, how's that going to transpire? He's already in the future, preparing the way for you. So you don't have to worry. You can wonder about how good your God is today. Not only does God know who, not only does God know how, not only does God know where, but God knows. Is anybody asking some when questions in here? God, when am I going to get healed? God, when are, am I going to you know, get that relationship I'm looking for? God, when are my kids going to move out of my house? Like some of you guys are entering into that empty nester stage, right? And I've heard from some of you, it's a difficult time. And I'm thinking, uh, no, it is not, right? I'm having a real hard time I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. God knows when another prophet 400 about 80 years before Jesus enters into the story would prophesy in another letter to a group of people in Israel and he would say this behold i send my messenger and he will prepare the way for me now stop you ever been to a concert before and there's the headliner and then there's like the opening acts you ever missed the opening acts that you really weren't interested in them you just wanted the headliner right Okay, 480 years before Jesus enters into the story, Malachi gives us this level of detail. He says, your Savior is going to come, but before your Savior comes, there's going to be one who prepares the way for your Savior. That's a level of detail you cannot miss. That's who John the baptizer is the one who comes before Jesus. Everyone thinks that he might be the Savior. Jerusalem kind of thinks that John the Baptizer is the, the is the Savior, and John the Baptizer says, no, 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 I'm not the Savior. I'm just preparing the way for the one who's going to come. And then Jesus would enter into the scene, and then we get this, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, can you let me nerd out for like two minutes? Can I do that for a minute? Just two minutes. Uh, If you are a skeptic of faith, you need to lean into this as well. And, And for, I think, all of us. This is so cool. Okay, This is so crazy. Okay, Malachi writes this around... 480 or so BCE or uh, 480 BC, okay? And he writes this just after the new temple has been built in Jerusalem. There was a first temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed, and they had built a new temple in about 500 years before Jesus uh, enters into the story. And about 20 or 30 years into that window of time, right around 480, Malachi is looking at this temple, and he says, the Savior is going to come to this temple before it gets destroyed. Malachi timestamps when the Savior must come. Meaning, if he comes after the temple is destroyed, he can't be the Savior because there's no temple for him to go to. Are you tracking? And if he comes before, well, that didn't work because we must have missed him. But we know we didn't miss him because we're still in captivity. And so Jesus enters into the story around 1, 2, or 3 AD, depending on kind of what version of timing you utilize in your life. He enters into the story, lives for 33 years, and then defeats death, right? That's the story of Christianity. 30 years after that, the people of Israel revolt against the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire walks into Jerusalem, sacks the city, and burns the temple to the ground. Meaning, there's a window of time the Savior had to come. And if he didn't come, if he came before, it was okay. But if he came after, it would not work. And Malachi has the audacity through God speaking through him to say, the Savior's coming, and he's coming before the temple gets destroyed. If you are a skeptic of faith, I want you to deal with that a little bit. And in our own lives, I think that should make us say, whoa, so cool. Because as you wonder about when what you hope for will happen, look here, know that God is already preparing you now for what's next. When is the promotion going to come? When is the relationship going to be restored? When am I going to have that relationship? All of those questions, look here. God's already doing something in you now to get you ready for what's coming. And he's never late. He knows what he's doing. And if you're a little skeptical today, maybe about Christian faith, I hope you have cause to reconsider. Because what are the odds? What are the odds that multiple writers... Over hundreds of years before Roman occupation, in different places, right? Malachi, Micah, and Isaiah would predict the who, the how, the where, and the when of Jesus' birth in this level of stunning detail. Like if you're intellectually honest, it's something that has to be considered. It's at least something that should make you (laughs) wonder. And there's good news for us, isn't it? Those for us who are wondering and worrying who and how and where and when. If God had a plan to take care of the world, look here, you can trust that God has a plan to take care of your world. Because God is not distant. He is not far. He's intentional about every choice. And he's invested in your life. And God knows who. And God knows how. And God knows where. And God knows when. Thanksgiving's a bittersweet time uh, for Stacy and I. Um, It's, of course, an incredible time because of the holiday season. Um, But for us, about four years ago, uh, we were probably one of the darkest spots we've ever been um, in our life as a family. Um, We had just finished this process with um, kind of working with adoption agencies to get everything set up. And uh, we had originally gotten a phone call around this time of year, four years ago, Um, saying that we were placed with a a child to adopt. And uh, as we were getting prepared to kind of go uh, adopt these um, two kids or twins, um, as we were getting ready to do that, um, we walk out of our house to get in our car to go and get them. We get a phone call. And our adoption specialist tells us, Hey, um, I don't know what to tell you, but uh, your um, family you've been matched with, um, uh, the mother ran away from the hospital with the kids. We don't know where they are. And the adoption is off. So we had two of everything, two two baby um, seats, two cribs, two of everything. And it was a hard time because we were asking God not who, not how, not where, not when, but God, why? Why would you put us through that, right? Uh, What we didn't know is that while we were asking these questions, God, who is the kid for us then? God, how are you going to work this all out? God, where is our son going to come from? God, God, when are we going to be able to act out on this vision of adoption? While we were asking these questions, frustrated and upset with God, uh, there was a young woman who was asking those same questions. God, who's going to adopt my son? God, how is this family going to be? And, and where are they going to live? And, and God, when will we know? And what we didn't know, and this is incredible to me, is that while we were weeping, God was working. And this young woman um, happened to come across one of these books at a um, a pregnancy center that she was at um, with some people that were working with her, some specialists. And she began flipping through this book while we were mourning. And as she looked at this book, uh, the way that she tells us is that she saw a page with our family and she said, that's where my boy is supposed to be. And while we were in pain, God was preparing her for our little boy. This time, four years ago. So on January 7th, Jackson will turn four, and he's just an incredible gift. And in the moments when I was most upset with God, the moments when I was thinking, God, what in the world are you doing? God, why are you allowing this to happen? While it seemed like God was silent, God was actually up to something beautiful and great. And I can't imagine life without my boy. And I don't know what you're going through. And I don't know what who question you're asking, or what how question you're asking, or what where question you're asking, or what when question you're asking. But here's what I know I know that while we're worrying, God is working while we're worrying, God, he's working. And there's even better news. Because in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, we see this line. It says that the zeal, and that word for zeal means passion, that the passion of the Lord of hosts will do this. That while Israel was waiting for a savior, while they wanted a savior, God says, you don't understand how much your wanting pales in comparison to my wanting for you. So look here. If what you hope for is good for you, know right now that God wants it for you more than you do. That relationship, if it's good for you, God wants it for you more than you do. That thing you're trying to figure out how, God wants it for you more than you do that destination you're trying to go in your life, God wants it for you more than you do if it's good for you. That question of timing, God, when are you going to, God wants it for you more than you do. And last time I checked, God always gets what God wants. So today, as you wonder, and maybe for honest, As you've been worrying, would you release control and would you trust God with your who and your how and your where and your when? Would you stand with me as we pray?